What I've titled it is The Better Exodus. Um, there is an exodus that is coming for the children of God. We are going to not be in the state we are currently. Uh, somebody shout, <laughs> amen. We are going to be given heavenly bodies and uh, celebrate in eternity and worship the Lord. But there's a greater exodus coming even than what God did for the children of Israel at the Red Sea, in the parting of the Red Sea, in Exodus chapter 15. And we're going to read about that today in Revelation chapter 15. In fact, uh, Revelation chapter 15 and 16 deal with seven judgments. And we're told within the chapter, in chapter 15, that they are the final judgments that are about to be released. Um, they're going to be rendered against all who have followed the beast... Okay, the, the dragon and the other two counterparts we call the unholy trinity. And there are several images in chapter 15 that cause us to think back to what happened in Exodus in, uh, in the time frame when God delivered his people from Egypt. Um, so I want to talk through those things today. I want you to understand though, because we do talk about God being a God of love, grace, mercy, forgiveness. He gives joy, peace, all of these good things. We sometimes don't talk enough about him being a judge. And he is going to judge. These judgments that are going to be released, I want you to think about them in terms of cleansing the earth from the defilement or the disease, if you will, uh, the corruption. How many of you know we live in a corrupt society, right? We have corrupt local officials. We have corrupt national figures. We have corrupt lead leaders of organizations all over the world. There is corruption everywhere in every industry. There's no one that's impervious to that uh, or no uh, organization that's impervious to that. God is going to wipe out all of those things that have been tainted by sin in order to do something very special. He is coming back and he is going to occupy a space that is holy and that is clean and pure and ready for him. The Bible says that sin cannot be um, present in his presence. That's my paraphrase. That he does not allow that to happen. So with all the sin and all the wrongdoing. I don't know if you watch the news. But there's nothing good happening anywhere. Okay. That's what it feels like these days. With all the bad stuff that's happening. God is going to redeem. He's going to cleanse. And he's paving the way. For him to finally be able to do. What he's been promising for thousands of years to do. And that is this, I will be their God and they will be my people and I will dwell in the midst of them. He is going to do just that. So he is, he's going to prepare the earth so that he can, so that Christ can come and reoccupy a holy place, a sacred place. So chapter 15 is kind of short. Um, so you lucked out. That means you're going to beat the Baptist to lunch today. Um, if you're going to lunch somewhere, you'll definitely be in line first. Um, it's short. I was tempted, Dan. The Holy Spirit helped me. 
Oh, the Holy Spirit helped me so much this week. I was tempted to preach both messages in 15 and 16, but I just kept feeling the Holy Spirit say, no, one is enough. And I thought, you know what? I think my people will agree with that too. One is enough. So 15 is the foundation for chapter 16. So next week in chapter 16, you'll hear about exactly what happens in each of the judgments. But for right now, we're going to look at chapter 15. And I wanted to remind you about something before we start reading chapter 15. I don't know what your imagination is about heaven. I'm hoping that if you've been with us over any period of the last uh, several months we've been going through Revelation, that you have... um, tweaked your image in your head or that you've adapted what maybe you thought it was when you were a kid to what it actually says it is going to be like as the Bible actually proclaims this truth. But according to the testimony of scripture, our lives in eternity are going to be more than just floating on a cloud. I talked to somebody this week, and actually I talk to people often, and I say, hey, how are you doing? And the number one answer I get, number one, can anybody guess the number one answer? Hey, how are you doing? What do you hear if they actually answer you truthfully? I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Gosh, it's been a long week. Gosh, these kids are killing me. Gosh, I'm so stressed. You know, it's... it. So we think, and I talked to somebody this week, and I said, uh, how are you doing? And she replied and said, I'm just so stinking tired. And then she kind of laughed and smirked and said, but I hear we can sleep when we die. So I'm looking forward to a long nap whenever. Listen, you're going to be doing more than napping. You're going to be more than floating on a cloud. The Bible tells us in multiple places, and if I rattled off every reference right now, you'd you'd get carpal tunnel trying to write them down. So listen to me when I tell you this. According to Scripture, you will be given a new, uncorrupted body without any disease, ailment, or issue. You won't have food allergies. You won't have uh, seasonal allergies. You won't have gluten allergies. Bless God. You'll be able to eat dairy. You'll be able to do whatever. It's a, It's going to be amazing. Now you say, well, how old am I going to be in heaven? I can't give that away to you right now. You just have to come back next week. Okay? There are different theories on the matter. But you won't have any sickness or disease. The Bible says you will remain, this is a weird, large, psychological term, you will remain sentient. That means you will have a mind, a will, and emotions that are completely submitted to God. The Bible says you'll experience emotion in eternity. That you'll experience joy unspeakable. That you will have these sorts of things happen. That you'll be able to think, communicate with one another. Fellowship. We'll be able to eat. And maybe not get fatter. This is awesome. Eat all you want and never have to buy new pants. It's going to be awesome. Never have to worry about, oh, I'm cutting my calories this month. I'm watching what I... No. And you will never die. You'll be free from every curse, the Bible says. Every curse. You'll be free from every bondage and every sin that you that you endured while on earth to never be enslaved again. And you will be with God the Father, 
His only begotten Son and the Holy Spirit in their presence for all eternity. The Bible says we're going to worship and serve the Lord. We're going to give to the Lord. We're going to grow crops. There's going to be some amazing things that take place. Death will have been defeated. There will be no more somebody got sick unto death. It will be done. There will be no wars. There will only be peace, the Bible says. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to live on a renovated earth that is going to be very close to what you imagined the Garden of Eden was meant to be like. Everything that's described in Scripture about where God's dwelling currently is, is beautiful, is peaceful, is filled with lots and lots of people throughout the ages who have done, just like Amy talked about her students, who have committed their lives to Christ and served Him and followed Him. It's going to be amazing. You're going to see long-lost relatives, people that were your family here on earth that you maybe never met. It's going to be amazing. And the most astonishing of all is that He is going to dwell with His people. So we're coming to a close. We've, we've passed the halfway mark in Revelation. We're coming to the close of all of what we know of that God has revealed. And I'm telling you, there are some amazing things that are about to take place. But first, a renovation needs to take place. And all those creatures, all creation that's disobeyed, that has um, walked against God's will, that have defied Him, they will be defeated and permanently removed. So, Revelation chapter 15 verse 1 says this. John, speaking, says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Verse 2, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. I don't know if you've ever listened live to a harpist play, but it is one of the most beautiful sounds, I think, musically. And I think God must think that because he's going to be handing them out to those who have conquered. There's going to be live music in heaven. It's going to be awesome. It's going to involve instruments. I accidentally went to a place on Friday night that was a restaurant. I thought it was just a regular restaurant. And they had live music and there was some celebration, if you get what I'm saying, going on in this place on a Friday night. <laughs> and I thought, this is not even an ounce of the actual joy of what we will experience when we get to sing and worship the Lord when he's in the room with us. It's going to be awesome. So this, these first two verses have a couple significant phrases. The first one is found in verse 2. When it says that there will be a sea of glass mingled with fire. This is what John is seeing. And again, if you've ever had to describe your own dream to someone, 
it can come out somewhat strange, okay? It was vivid to you, but then when you kind of express it to somebody else, you just kind of pull the pieces together. So he says, I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass. This is an Old Testament, listen to me, illusion. Not illusion, like a trick of magic, but an illusion. Something that's alluding to something that's already happened, okay? And so without directly mentioning it, let me just give you a practical, like everyday speaking example of an illusion. Speaking of food, because we've been talking about it for a few minutes, it's Paul's fault. He did communion this morning. We already talked about food and then I carried on the torch. But if I were to say to you, chocolate cake is my Achilles heel, I am making an illusion to something. I am alluding to the story from Greek mythology about Achilles, who's what? What was his his Achilles heel was his weakness. So instead of me just saying chocolate cake is my weakness, I would say chocolate cake is my Achilles heel. I'm making that illusion. I'm alluding to something. So the same thing is happening here with John. Because the sea of glass mixed with fire is an allusion back to the Red Sea in connection with the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. If you want to read this story in more detail this week, go to Exodus chapter 13 through 15. And you'll read about the deliverance of the Israelites. Um, We were talking about this in our house this week and reminiscing about the first time that my girls ever saw the Prince of Egypt. Have you guys seen that movie, The Prince of Egypt? It's old, um, but it's good. It's not completely true biblically, but it's good, okay? Uh, you'll see in context, though, how this makes sense, because as we go further in the chapter, you're going to hear other things like the Song of Moses. Did you know the Song of Moses from Exodus 15, that Moses was a songwriter? <laughs> I didn't. I mean, there's a lot of people that didn't know that. So he wrote a song about God delivering the people and he praised the Lord in front of all of those people as they went into the the freedom from bondage that they were leaving behind, the bondage that they were leaving behind. So he sang a song of worship to God and then you're going to hear that same phrase in just a moment in another verse about a new song of Moses that gets sung. Another context clue that you'll find as we continue to read in just a second is going to be also the tabernacle of testimony. It says that God's tabernacle is open in heaven in the next few verses. And so this entire thing needs to be looked at as a whole image. The first exodus out of Egypt, listen to me church. The first exodus that occurred was out of out from under Pharaoh's tyrannical power. It was freedom from bondage, but not just from something, but to something. God didn't save you in order for you to just attend church. He saved you in order for you to live for him, share your faith, share his love, demonstrate and minister love, peace, grace, all of those things. He saved you out of darkness, the New Testament writers say, and into, the old song says, into his marvelous light. 
So he's calling you from something, not just to release you from chains, but to bring you to something greater. Amen. So in the Old Testament, he does this with his people. And in the end of days, he will release all of us from the tyrannical oppression and the rule of the beast over the world. It just told us, John just told us in chapters 13 and 14 about how it's going to be world leaders, those who are influencing many, many people and leading them astray. And then God is going to destroy that beast and his power and he's going to accomplish something on a global scale, not just with the parting of the Red Sea for a million people, but for hundreds of millions of people. So the sea represents chaos. We've talked about that a little bit in this series because we talked about a sea dragon. The book of Job mentions Leviathan. You should do some word study through the book of Job and through the Bible about the sea. In fact, Genesis, the very first reference to creation as it begins, God is bringing order to the chaos of the waters. I love the story of healing in the New Testament when Jesus uh, is on the earth and there are miracles being performed. And there is, uh, it's an interesting story, you should look it up. The angel comes down to the pool of Siloam and stirs the water and it happens once a year and whoever's first in the water gets healed, receives something from God. God wants to prove he's doing this over and over again throughout all of history that he is ordering chaos. He is eradicating things like disease and disorder and he is bringing about peace and good things. So now the sea is like glass, which would mean there are no waves would mean there's no storm brewing. God's divine power is what causes that sea to be still. Just like Jesus. Listen, are you putting all of those pictures together on the boat? He wasn't worried about a thing. He was taking a nice nap, which maybe you'll get to do today. He... He wasn't worried about a thing. And he spoke to the wind and to the waves and they obeyed him. I'm telling you, in the mind of the disciples who grew up hearing the Old Testament and how there was a sea monster and a this and a that, immediately their spirits came to attention knowing that this man is doing something no other man can. He is setting order in something that is unorderable. You cannot put order to it. You can't do that yourself in human strength. So can I just remind you of this today? That a hallmark of the handiwork of God has always been to bring order where there is chaos. That's good. It's good for you to hear that today because I'm telling you, there's so much practical stuff, even in the book of Revelation, for you to absorb and apply to your life. It doesn't matter what you're going through with your job situation that's chaotic. It doesn't matter what's going on in your home or with your family members that's chaotic. I've got an issue with, not an issue, but my brother has an issue in his family, and there's some crazy chaos. I'm telling you, there is nothing, no magic pill you can take that will like secure the chaos or settle it down. The only 
thing that will bring order to chaos in any area of your life is submission to the one who always brings order. He is the one. Amen? And he always dominates chaos. So I want you to have that image in your mind. I was thinking this week, and I wonder if anybody will join me in this song. Um, he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and the rider thrown into the sea. That was a cute little song that you sung in Sunday school or learned a really long time ago. And the rest of you are going, huh? <laughs> uh, because, but here's what it did, though. It helped you remember the story that God delivered them. And if he delivered them, how much more so will he deliver you? There's peace in knowing this. Come on. Okay, verse 3 says this. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. I want to point something out to you right there. It's not two different songs. It's that the song of Moses has become the song of the Lamb. Saying this, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Or another way that you can interpret that word nations is actually ages. King of all ages, King of all nations. Verse 4 says this, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So you better think about this this week when you are faced with a storm and some sort of chaos starts brewing in your house. Listen to me. Look up at me. I speak to you by the Holy Spirit today. When chaos begins to brew in here, you have the ability to put yourself in submission to the Lord and say, I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. He threw the horse and the rider into the sea. He's defeated every sea monster and chaos organizer from all of history. And he will put me in order. I submit to you, Lord. There's chaos that swirls in our minds at times. We feel out of control. But I'm telling you the good news. That there is one who always is in control. Amen. Verse 5 says this. John's still speaking. He says, after this I looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness. Now your version may be different. But just understand the wording there is mentioning the tabernacle. Like the Old Testament tent. The tent or the tabernacle of witness in Heaven was opened and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. It's important for you to understand that as John is giving this image and revealing to us what he has seen, that we are putting ourselves back in time in our mind to remember what these things look like. Now you say, how could a good God allow plagues be in his tabernacle and be released? Because he's not just good, he's holy. 
I should preach about that more often. I should live that more often. You should live that more often. God didn't save you to just live a humdrum life where you get to do what you want to do and hope he gives you approval for those things. Jesus died to make you holy. This is a challenge. It's a challenge that I did not, uh, victor. I didn't win this week in certain areas of my life. It's a, it's a ongoing battle in your life, in your space too. But we have a God who wants to put his character inside of us to cause us to look just like his kids. I don't know if you've seen my children, but they're unmistakably mine. The way they talk, the way they look, the way they, their facial expressions, they're mine a hundred percent. They are my wife's a hundred percent. If they're bad, she calls them my kids. If they're bad and I'm around, I call them her kids. I say, your daughter, right? Listen to me. I use that example so that you hear me today. God the Father is a family man. He's always been about building his family and enlarging it. And so he wants his family to look like they belong to him. And so when we fail to look like we belong, not just on the outside, but literally belong, then we're doing ourselves a disservice and we're not living authentically a life filled with faith in Jesus. So here come these seven Angels with seven plagues, they're coming out of the presence of God. So they're authorized by God to come out with these plagues. It says that they're clothed in pure, bright linen. Again, speaking to their purity, that they are created for this purpose, this moment. And the golden sashes around their chests sound awfully familiar to the sort of garb or garments that the priest wore who served in the tabernacle and in the temple. So verse 7 and 8 continues, says this, And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Verse 8, And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until... The seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now, you say, Pastor, woo, we got here quick. Let me just explain to you something in more detail about these last two verses. You may have a different translation, and it may vary from mine. I'm not telling you that yours is wrong, but I want you to understand what exactly the instrument is that the angels are carrying. There's a distinct difference between some translations that call them vials or vessels and the translations that call them bowls. Now, I'm not telling you that your translation is garbage. I'm just telling you there is a challenge with this word because the actual Greek word, and I'm going to show you two contrasting pictures here in a second, the Greek word that is used is talking about a wide, several feet wide, diameter and shallow item not a vial like a test tube miss christine will you pull up that picture 
This is what we think of when we think of vials, like a test tube in a laboratory or a doctor with a syringe and a needle uh, taking medicine out of a tiny little vial. That's not the image. Because if we're sticking to the understanding that what John is seeing is a replay but a magnification of what is from the Old Testament, then we should go back to the Old Testament and take a look at the, the utensils and the items that were used in the service of the tabernacle. When they had a drink offering to pour out before the Lord, it didn't look like this. It wasn't a 16-ounce soda bottle being poured out to the Lord. It was something on a massive scale poured out on the altar. It looked more like this image. This is an antique from, or I should say from antiquity, an image that I picked up off the internet of a bowl that comes from, they say, uh, 3,000 years before Christ. Okay, this was found, it's in the Met Museum. Uh, it's interesting in its shape and design, but the idea is this, it holds a lot more than a vial. So, I want you to be clear, it is not that God has this tiny little test tube that he's just going to pour out a dash. He's got a bowl that he's given to each one of these angels in order to, I, I need you to get this. And you say, Pastor, why are you harping on this? I want you to understand the Bible. And that's what you pay me the big bucks to do. It's a joke. You can joke about it. Ha ha. Okay, you can laugh. Okay. If I have gallons of liquid in a three foot diameter bowl that has handles, when I go to pour it out, guess how much comes out? How quickly? All three gallons within a second or two because it gets poured out swiftly. What God is going to unleash in the what we used to call the latter days. When when God is going to release these things in the end times. They are going to be swift judgments that happen over all those who disobey. So it's this shallow large container and if you look back in the Old Testament, during the designing of the tabernacle, the Bible says that Moses was instructed to build the tabernacle according to exact measurements that God gave him because they were a replica of what is already. God wanted his house to look like his house so he gave him those images. And one of the utensils would have been a very large, shallow dish. They also used something like this to be able to remove ashes from the area of the altar and to remove fat from the sacrificial animals that were given. So if, you, if you're putting this together, whether it was the kind that they used for the drink offering before the Lord or whether it was the kind that was used to remove the trash the bad stuff that defiled the sacred space god is pouring out something that is going to be untenable something that no one can make it and survive through unless they have their name written in the lamb's book of life amen so god's presence in the earthly temple has been highlighted throughout scripture miss christine go back to verse eight for me. Um, 
it's been highlighted all throughout scripture that his sanctuary, whether it was the, the tent that they moved with them in the desert while they were traveling to the promised land, or whether it's the temple that Solomon built, that David had planned and Solomon got to build, the sanctuary in different moments of history has been filled with the smoke of the glory of God and of his power. You can look at Exodus chapter 40. You can look at 1 Kings chapter 8. You can look at 2 Chronicles chapter 5. You can look at Isaiah chapter 6. You can look at Ezekiel chapter 10. You can look at any of those places. And the exact same wording is there about the place being filled with smoke because God's presence was there. No one, this is interesting, according to this verse, no one, verses 7 and 8, no one was able to enter the tabernacle until all the defilement had been cleaned out, until the place had been prepared to become a sacred space for the Messiah to live and dwell in. I'm so thankful that we serve a God. There are so many things that you could add to this, just thinking through this for a few minutes about how God is faithful to his word, about how he always does what he says he's going to do, that he is going to redeem us and redeem the earth. Amen. All defilement will be removed. The beast will be destroyed. And then God's final steps will be taken before he dwells with his people forever and ever. It's going to be amazing. And I want you to be there with me. I want us to celebrate on streets of gold. I want us to understand what it's like to experience the presence of the one who created you. It's going to be, it's going to be mind blowing to say the least. I can't wait. I want to ask you today in response to this message, I want to ask you today two things. The first question is this, are you ready for this coming exodus? And this is not me talking about the left behind movies or trying to instill fear in you, but I'm telling you, God is going to take his people out of the way and he's going to get rid of all the wicked things and there's only two, it's interesting how God produces or makes sure that de he demonstrates there are binary choices. Take that for what it is, somebody who watches the news. There's only two choices that he keeps making all the way throughout scripture. He built systems that are binary all the way throughout. And so then you have this choice of will I be the person who is going to choose him and holiness or will I be the one that goes my own way and the way of the beast, the antichrist, the false prophet? We don't want to be on that side because there's no going back. There's no other. There are churches out there that preach a different message. They say that all things will be redeemed and even those who didn't choose God, they'll get saved and be redeemed. I'm telling you, there's something wrong with their theology. It's not in the Bible. The Bible says that there's a binary choice. You either choose him or you reject him. Stand with me today.
That's the first question I want to ask you, is are you ready for the exodus? And if you are, praise God. If you're not, the Bible is very clear and very simple in how to get you ready. You don't have to buy a 90-day food supply. Y'all, I'm funnier than you give me credit for, okay? I'm going to have Miss Christine give me a laugh track in the back. That's what I need. So it just does what Jericho did. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Listen to me. You don't have to buy. A 90... <laughs> I wasn't making fun of your laugh. <laughs> um, you don't have to buy a 90-day food prep thing. You don't have to. Thank you. We got to fill the time somehow. No, I'm kidding. You don't have to do those sorts of things in order to prep for what's coming. The Bible says this. Admit that you are a sinner who's in need of a Savior Believe that He can save you, that He died and rose again. Confess your sins and then live for Him. It's simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. The second question, which is probably going to be for the majority, I want you to close your eyes right now. The second question I ask you today is this. What chaos are you in that you need Him to set order to? You may be struggling with a mental downward spiral. You may be struggling with a challenge at work that just won't seem to go away. And it's not a task, it's probably a person. You may be facing chaos in your extended family in some way, shape, or form. Some disunity. Maybe there's chaos in your home with your children. The chaos that you're facing, I believe sincerely by the Spirit of God that He wants to bring order to that. And I think there are times where we pray and pray and pray and we don't get the answer that we want or in the timing that we want so that we give up. But today, if you're here and you say, Pastor, it's me, there's chaos somewhere in my life and I I just want to be free from that chaos. I want order in that situation. Would you lift your hand? Just lift your hand right where you are. We're not going to make a big deal out of it and call your name and make you speak up or out loud. You can put your hands down as soon as you've raised them. I just wanted to see how many of us are truly in need of that. And at least seven or eight of us raised our hands. God requires your faith to believe in him. We want you to be able to come and be prayed for. These people are your partners in prayer. They don't have any magic words to say. They're not going to fix the problem. They're not a counselor. But they want to pray with you and give you some support today. If you if you can think of what that chaos is and you feel that you want somebody to pray for you regarding that, would you step out to one of those individuals right now? Just head in their direction while the worship team sings. And we'd love to pray with you today. We won't ask you a million questions about it. Just mention the category. It's my family. It's my job. It's my this. And we want to pray for you today about that. If you don't want to step out, but you still want to take a moment in prayer, I want you to do that at your seat. I want you to pray to the God who always brings order 
that he would do it for you, that he wouldn't wait any longer. God, I pray that right now over Celebrate Church and over every heart, every hand that raised and said, I'm experiencing chaos and I need order. I pray to the God who brings order. Lord, I pray for my own life, you would help order all of my steps, all of my decisions. God, I pray for every individual in this room that you would bring order to their life and to their chaos. God, let it not be their chaos anymore. Jesus, would you speak a word like you did on the bow of that boat and say, peace, be still. In the mighty name of Jesus, we declare we have faith in you and that you will do what you've said you would do.